Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for October 30th, 2008. I'd like to welcome back my regular panel, David McKee from the Las Vegas Advisor. Hey, David. Hello. Dave Schwartz from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Good afternoon, Dave. Hi. Jeff Simpson from the Las Vegas Sun and In Business Las Vegas. Welcome, Jeff. Good afternoon, guys. I want to say it's a beautiful day here in Las Vegas. So warm that I did not have to uh, break out any Las Vegas Sands stock certificates to burn for kindling. (laughs) (laughs) The esteemed Chuck Monster is on vacation this week, so it's just going to be the four of us. My name is Hunter Hilligus, and I run RateVegas.com. We're actually going to start off with something that is sort of Chuck-related. Uh, he's not here to chime in, but I think uh, I think we can give it a little bit of coverage, and that is the Trippies 2008. Uh, the annual VegasTripping.com contest is, uh, is on us again. And first off, I wanted to say thank you to all the listeners of this show who nominated us uh, in the best podcast category. Uh, We're in very good company, and uh, while I sort of doubt we'll win, it's nice to know that people are listening and enjoying the show, so thanks again. Amen for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to say congratulations to both David and Dave, because both of you guys, along with myself and a couple others, have also been nominated in the best blog category, so congrats to both of you guys. Hear, hear. Thanks. And we'll see how that goes. And, and as they say in Hollywood, the real honor is being nominated. <laughs> Especially when I, you're I'm running against people you know. I mean, right. it takes, it, takes the edge off for one's desire to win. You know, the blog category especially, I think, uh, they're, all, they're all good. Except, well, they're all, all <laughs> that excluding, without singling anyone out, I'll say that they're, they're all something I read on a regular basis. <laughs> um, but what I, what I wanted to talk about was the trippies a little bit further, and just some of the categories, because um, for those that haven't voted or don't know what the trippies are, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of different organizations that do best of kind of surveys and lists and that sort of thing. And usually they're fairly traditional, you know, best steakhouse, best casino, that sort of thing. Um, the Trippies has some of that, definitely, but they also have some fun categories that you won't find in other surveys. Um, not just that cover, not just to cover things like blogs and podcasts, but also a whole set of worsts, which you won't find in, for instance, in the RJ survey, plus some fun categories like best and worst place to get laid, um, person of the year sort of thing, overrate, generally overrated, um, and it's, sometimes it's sort of fun to rag on these things. Um, it can always be sort of sort of enjoyable. Um, so I don't know. I sent this list around to you guys earlier. Uh, I was curious. Did you guys have any favorite uh, any favorite categories in there? That's something that that uh, you got a chuckle out of when you read through the list. Oh yeah, for me definitely the casino carpet. Is right. Kind of key. So I thought that was kind of kind of neat. Um, yeah, I also like the the best and worst of the shows and everything like that. And the worst news story and best news story. I thought those were good too. I mean, ironically we have Chris Angel on the list whose show opens tomorrow officially as one of the worst shows in town. So he's already starting out of the gate with a little bit of a, <laughs> of an issue. Um, you know, they have a pet peeve category and, um, I, I, uh, voted for my favorite, my favorite item, which is these people that don't know how to walk, I honestly think there should be school for, for walking and rules because you're walking down the strip and someone will stop right in front of you uh, with no, absolutely no regard for 
um, you know, people that are walking on either side, and it just drives me absolutely crazy. <laughs> so yeah, definitely I, I, stop walkers. See, my, my pet peeve wasn't on there. It would have been people who don't know how to use elevators. Um, they want to enter the elevator before the departing people have left. Um, and then another one would be in terms of walking, people who um, I think here in the United States generally um, – People walk on the, you know, you should walk on the right, similar to the way we drive, and uh, you know, it's it's not Hong Kong. We have a blend of two different driving cultures, so um, there's certainly lots of folks here who um, don't follow that. It's not a, you know, it's not something I'd insist on, but I prefer it if everybody does that. Oh, I definitely want to make it a rule. I want to be able to arrest <laughs> people. <laughs> it drives me absolutely crazy. So I would encourage those folks out there that don't, aren't familiar with it or don't know what it is, to go check it out, um, VegasTripping.com, uh, who we mention you know, every week because Chuck's on the show. Um, there's, a, there's a link prominently from the uh, homepage, and uh, you, know, you can take a few minutes and register your discontent or your content, and it can be fun. I think he's going to announce the winners sometime in January, if I recall correctly. Hunter, um, yeah. the, the AC tripping site, I wanted to – Throw out a uh, um, some applause to uh, Dave Schwartz for the photos that he submitted to Chuck's uh, AC trip site, which is which are just fantastic. Um, Dave, I thought that you know some of the photos of of Harris and from Harris and just the look of the uh, the look of the the boardwalk area, and um, they really uh, captured. The, the evolution of the city, and it's been a few years since I've been uh, been back east. So um, I really appreciated that. Um, you see the, you know, it's just amazing when you look at side by side towers, like the new Taj Tower, um, what is it, the Executive Tower, or whatever, next to the old tower, and it's just such a, you know, sort of clash of eras, um, and. Uh, and you know, I think that um, you know, you obviously have a lot of affection for Atlantic City, as do I. Uh, my grandparents vacationed there, and I, it was the first place I ever uh, put a shekel on the table. And and, uh, and, I, and I love AC, um, and I just thought they, those photos are fantastic. So I'd recommend anybody um, who um, is interested in that market um, take a look. Yeah, thanks a lot. That, that was I'll a lot of fun that. doing. That, that, that was a lot of fun doing that, and uh, you know, it's just kind of a little snapshot of what's going on around town. So I thought it'd be cool to share that with people. Absolutely, yeah, very cool. Absolutely, check it out. I think uh, we—I blogged about it in the past, but I will stick another link for that in uh, the show notes for today's show, so you can find that easily if you want to go check it out. It is very cool. Moving on from the trippies, um, gaming stocks, gaming economy situation, you know, I think uh, at this point everyone is aware we have this uh, sort of economic problem in the United States. <laughs> if that's news to you, I think you should uh, probably get a get a more a little bit more clued in. But um so this week I think we saw uh Boyd Gaming, MGM Mirage, uh Wynn Resorts and IGT all all put out their earnings if I'm forgetting someone, uh you'll remind me, but None of them were all that great, uh, except for maybe wind resorts, you could say, um, you know, I don't know if I'd call it great, but given the current market conditions, it's, uh, they did very well. Uh, we also saw the retail developer General Growth Properties announce they're going to be selling three of their major, major Las Vegas retail malls, two of which are 
located in uh, Las Vegas Sands properties, which we also know have been hurting. So everything that's going on with MGM Mirage stock, which is, I think, I believe at a record low, I mean, we're talking about in the order of you know $10 or so a share, is this a good time for majority shareholder Kirk Kerkorian to buy more shares? When he announced recently he was getting out of Ford Motor, he mentioned going further into gaming. Do you think he's going to go all in? Do you think we'll see some kind of uh, privatization for MGM Mirage given its current market cap? Is that on, on the table for them? What do you guys think? Well, I think he just missed his best opportunity to scarf up a lot of that stock at at its low ebb because the stock started heading back up yesterday, and the last I checked, they were still moving up. But yeah, it's be a good time for him to uh, to increase his stake. It would seem so. I mean, I'm looking at the quote right now: fifteen dollars and thirty-seven cents, which is still a market cap of about four and a quarter billion, not counting their debt, obviously, but. Hey, it's Love been a good week for them. They're up what up fifty percent. Yeah. It's not a bad week. <laughs> they could have that every week. It just you know, we talk we see the privatization in the gaming industry and sometimes maybe not for the right reasons or or for or for reasons that have yet to really show their brilliance, but this seems almost like an opportunity and he's he definitely seems like an investor of opportunity. He likes to swoop in and take advantage of these scenarios when they become available. Certainly for for Kirkorian and you know, the, if if they have any money left uh, now that some of their oil selling friends are uh, not making quite as much per barrel, um, you know, you'd think the Dubai partners and City Center would be trying to, you know, dollar cost average some of those high price shares they already bought and their investment in City Center. I mean, you'd think they'd be trying to put as much money they, as they can into that company's stock because right now, their investment is priced way above what those shares are worth. So, you know, that, that to me, um, if anybody would want to be buying more, it would be it would be them. Um, and certainly, Kerkorian's a pretty astute judge of, of value, even though he took a bath on Ford. Um, his record overall is typically good, and I think that it wouldn't surprise me if he invested. I, you know, as far as going private, I'm not sure what the advantage is. Um, it, it certainly hasn't been a big advantage for uh, the other companies that made that move, um, Tropicana, Harris, and Station so far. But, you know, it's still early in the game, and we'll see. As far as asset sales, I mean, we heard this this past week, I believe, you know, the rumor that Penn National was interested in swiping Bellagio from MGM Mirage. Uh, you know, now there's some, uh, you know, further talk that maybe that, that isn't correct. Who knows? Uh, I mean, do, are we likely to see major asset, asset sales on the strip with these with these companies? Are we getting to that point? Oh, I think I think there will be attempts to sell. Um, whether there will be a meeting of minds on value, um, that's probably the big question. I mean, Norm Clark, the Review Journal gossip columnist, uh, quoted Steve Wynn as saying that um, he had heard that Penn National's CEO is trying to buy Bellagio. Um, he's probably, you know, looking for. You know, too good of a property at, pro at more than likely too small of a price. Um, but um, if he's looking looking at Bellagio, that's still a, a big cash cow, 4,000 rooms, very high price points um, relative to the market. But there are opportunities if uh, he is so inclined. Um, you have to think the Rio probably stands out as the most likely um, prospect. 
Um, the question is whether he'd be willing to pay for all that land and, you know, pay, you know, some kind of reasonable amount based on the recent market. So, you know, it, it's probably tough to get a meeting of minds, but if I had to identify a property, that would be it. Right. Well, one thing that one property that could also come back into play is the Sahara, because now that MGM's North Strip project is on indefinite postponement, and you know, and if Jim Murin isn't exaggerating, it could be you know, it, uh, could be ten years before they open something up there. That runs a cart and horses through through Sam Nazarian's business plan. I mean, you know, good luck getting two hundred dollars a night for for hotel rooms, you know, at the Sahara in its current state of of relative isolation. So he, you know, there's it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if he decided that well maybe that isn't you know this isn't such a good play after all and uh, you know and better luck next time and maybe that goes back on the market. Yeah, certainly possible. I mean, I, I believe, you know, in rebutting the uh, Bellagio rumor, I believe that the Penn National CEO was on the record as saying that they are definitely interested in doing something in Las Vegas and would like to take advantage if the opportunity arose. But it sort of sounded like uh, nothing was immediately on the uh, on the table in terms of in the foreground. Well, and the converse of what the the flip side of what Wynn said was he thought that that it was would be much more likely that that MGM would put its Atlantic City land on the market. And lo and behold, the next day I believe it was, they announced that that their Atlantic City project was going into the deep freeze. Um, that um, and I had a long discussion with with. Uh, uh, a source who's very familiar with the industry, and he, you know, his hypothesis was that MGM had announced that project as a way of forcing the New Jersey Casino Control Commission ought to get off the dime on the Pansy Ho licensing application. And it's been a year, and the Casino Control Commission hasn't budged, and so perhaps this is, you know, it's a, uh, this is an opportunistic time. For for MGM to for the third time in its history to uh, walk out on an Atlantic City project, especially when you've got Penn National uh, flush with cash and sniffing around various sites in that city, and that the one that MGM has. Uh, I don't know if it would be more desirable than the one that, that uh, I mean, obviously Dave's a lot more familiar with the geography than I am. I don't know if it would be the most desirable of the three that uh, that are in play right now, but uh, it certainly, um, the, certainly the conditions are auspicious for a deal to be made. Yeah, I would definitely want to develop on that MGM Mirage land as opposed to the speculative Penn National land because the Penn National land is way out kind of way out on Route 30 whereas the um, MGM Mirage land puts them right next to uh, Borgata and Harris so right in there Mm -hmm. and hopefully the Margaritaville will be across the street if that goes according to plan so yeah with uh, next to uh, Borgata and uh, and Harris that would put them next to the two most uh, happening properties there (laughs) yeah 
Happening is a relative term. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that that definitely seems like a, an interesting spot for them. And your your theory about the announce, you know, the announcement uh, being uh, a way to force their hand, I, you know, that Pansy Ho thing is, as you said, still unresolved and um, could be trouble for them in China. Well, it 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 uh, would also rid the other. That, that way, MGM doesn't have to, if they just sell the land and their their half interest in Borgata and and leave, then that 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 problem goes away for them. They don't, you know, there's there are no no more clouds hanging over their uh, their um, relationship with Ms. Ho and and her father. It's a win-win-win because it gets. New Jersey out of the onus of having to announce its decision, which will be roundly criticized no matter what they do. It gets it gets Boyd back into you know it gives them the whole share of that side, and it's it's you know it's possible MGM could split the deal up and sell the remaining parcels, um, but certainly you know it's also possible Boyd might want those and then for MGM as you guys said it get, it extricates them from a uh, tough situation and and you know people should not underestimate um what MGM is doing in Macau if you look at their monthly market share there um they've gone 6% up to 7 up to 8 and i believe they're at 10 right now um and you know they're really following sort of a steady um um, copy of what Wynn has done. Now, Wynn opened in a much smaller market with fewer strong competitors, um, but they are going after that same VIP market, which is in in a time of um, with of visa restrictions and tightened mass market play. The VIP play is really the uh, the uh, you know lucrative part of the market and MGM um, and, and, and Terry Lanny has been quite frank in saying that um, Wynn was cleaning their clock that they opened poorly but they um, are absolutely trying to do the same thing that Wynn has done um, and uh, you know Pansy Ho um, I don't know what her ability is to uh, you know pull expertise from folks who uh, you know when her father ran the uh, monopoly business it was a you know um his company you had a lot of vip business and uh you know so there is um you know there should be some advantage for her as a local to be able to pull some of that business in so i think that even though their market share opened at you know five or six percent or whatever it was um, MGM Grand is up in the you know 10% range now, and uh, you know the trend is is higher. It's going to be tough for every marginal point, but um, I think that you know you should people should probably um, begin to look with favor on what MGM is doing in Macau. Excellent point. Now to swing across to the one company that that seems to be doing that seems to have some amount of financial cheer. Uh, you know, just about an hour ago, got off the Win Resorts third quarter conference call. Um, not a whole lot of news in, out of that call. I mean, we, he did, they did confirm a, a December 22nd opening for Encore, which has been reported elsewhere. Uh, you know, not clear if that's uh, going to be great fanfare or something a smaller scale, but it looks like you'll be able to check out Encore towards the end of December. Um, but on top of that, they did talk a little bit about Kotai. 
their development plans there, basically indicating that uh, they want to wait for an indication that the current level of supply is being absorbed by the market, which is basically them saying, you know, Venetians not doing as well as they thought they might have, and uh, we got to make sure that uh, there's actually, you know, a good reason to open up a new place before we before we go in full full bore. Uh, Jeff, I know you were listening to the call. Did you? What did you take away from it? Anything else that we need to report on? I, I don't think so. I think that um, you know, there's. It's always fun um, to hear uh, to hear uh, Steve win. Um, you know, good times, bad times. He's uh, he's never short on confidence. Um, I think that you know, right now, I, I went. I think it was about a year ago or five quarters ago. I went over and. Uh, um, watched one of the conference calls. I sat in the room with our executives, and it was a, you know, much more robust, happy time for the whole industry. But they were riding high at the head of the pack, and uh, um, so you know, it's, now that I know what those calls are like, I'm sure um, they feel like, um, compared with their peers, they are doing, uh, you know, exceptionally well in tough times. He always likes to say that, you know, he's. He's hired, or his job is to run the company in good and bad times, and he should be judged on how he runs the company in good and bad times. That's certainly a little uh, implied criticism of uh, other folks, and you know, I, I think you know his opinion is that some of the other people in the business um, aren't really experienced operators, at least compared with um, what Wynn thinks are experienced operators. Um, he certainly has a lot of respect for Terry Lanny, who undoubtedly is an experienced operator, but if you look at Gary Loveman, um, you know, he, uh, he was, he's a marketing expert who has, you know, relatively limited operational experience. Um, I think he probably, and he has never said this to me, but um, Sheldon Adelson would be in the, uh, in the, in the same boat. And um, so... You know, I think it's a, you know, he feels a little, um, I'm sure that, that Wynn feels like, you know, the, that, you know, a year ago, everybody's, you know, saying, uh, you know, Sheldon's a genius, Gary Loveman's a genius, um, and, 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 and I think he probably feels a little slighted by comparison at times like that. Now, um, he thinks that probably, probably, I would presume, thinks those chickens have come home to roost. Excellent point. Uh, you know, as as Jeff said, if if anyone's interested in the gaming industry and follows Win Resorts, it is fun to listen to those calls, even when there's not a whole lot of news, because um, they they do sort of have this this sort of energy. And and they they the ones if they took one thing away from that call, it was this overwhelming sense of confidence. They are very assured of their position. They are they don't seem at all worried. Um, they seem very keen on what they're about to open with Encore. I mean, he referred to it as. Uh, I think energizing some of the design choices, they basically, I think, feel very happy with the way that it came out. Uh, so I, you know, I'm personally interested and curious to see it, but uh, not too far away. We'll all get to check it out. Um, from moving on from there, uh, a major strip milestone had an anniversary this week or this month with relatively little fanfare. So 10 years ago, Mirage Resorts opened Bellagio. And uh, at the time, I believe it was the most expensive resort on the Strip. And Dave Schwartz, you noted this on your blog, and I think you had another article on this topic, that there is really very little recognition in terms of uh, you know, any kind of a party or any kind of public event. Um, 
why do you think there was no fanfare? And and given that, do you think that we will see any kind of fanfare for something like the Mirage, which turns 20 next year? I don't think we will. I think it's part of the new way that they promote Las Vegas, which is everything's new. And I think if you tell people your casino's 10 years old, there's a perception that, that that's bad. And I know I've talked with people in the industry, not at MGM Mirage, but at other operators, saying, well, you know, you've got an anniversary coming up. Why don't we help you document your history? And, da, da, da. and they're like, well, no, we don't want to talk about that to our customers. We don't want them to know, know how old we are. Hmm. So that's, you know, that's the perception that I've gotten around town. So I don't think we'll see any big celebrations, at least publicly. Which is unfortunate because I think that this is one of the, you know, the more history a, a hotel has, the more traction it has with customers. And I think, it, you know, you, you remind them how much, how much they've done there. I think Dave, Dave's right that that's an element of what's going on. I think there's probably a couple other things. Um, I think that the fact that um, Bellagio and, and uh, later Mirage weren't designed by current MGM Mirage people, um, but but by Steve Wynn. I mean, you know, Wynn never fails to mention that he, that when you know when he talks about other jurisdictions like Japan or you know he the, he he says hey they know who I am I built Wynn Las Vegas I built Bellagio I built Mirage, um, and so any celebration of the creation of Bellagio um, would be remiss if Wynn is not mentioned prominently. I think that's a disincentive for MGM Mirage to um, enter it. Those personalities do come into play. Um, and secondly, I think that uh, at a time when um, employees are being laid off by the uh, by the thousands, um, it and uh, you know times are tough up and down the strip. I think that it probably uh, also seems like the wrong time to be doing uh, celebrations of any kind. Yeah, that's a good point. I do. It is an interesting contrast, though, to, to say Treasure Island, who I remember. You know, f- five years ago, uh, had a relatively significant. Um, you know, they they acknowledged it with the rolling out of the Siren Show and a, a significant rebrand and a party. Uh, it is just interesting to see the contrast this time around, when there's pretty much nothing, not a, not even a mention. And it's in the case of of Mirage, it would be doubly unfortunate if that anniversary were allowed to pass without comment because. That would, you know, that was that was such a a nodal moment in the history of the Las Vegas Strip when that uh, uh, when that property opened and all of the the uh, the moguls that we associate with with contemporary Las Vegas. I mean, they're they're standing on Steve Wynn's shoulders in that respect. If that. You know, if Steve Wynn had been run over a car by a car every before he'd had a chance to build Mirage, I mean, I you know, I, I don't want to put a number on how many years it would have set back the the evolution of Las Vegas, but I I have no uh, no trepidation about saying it wouldn't look anything like the way it is now. It would have evolved much more slowly. It's an interesting point, and. To, <clears throat> One other thing I wanted to capture was, Dave, I think you mentioned also in your blog post that uh, when Bellagio was about to open, some of the newspaper reports were it, people were not convinced it was going to do well. Can you, will you remind me of how that was playing out at the time? Yeah, there was a lot of pessimism. Gambling stocks had been on a downward trend in 1998, and there was a, a lot 
of new supply coming in the market. They were forecasting that at the end of that building boom, they'd have 127,000 hotel rooms. And a lot of the observers, um, whatever you want to call them, were not sure that Las Vegas could fill it. And they were saying, well, they're going to have to grow the market so much that we don't think they can do it. So there was a lot of pessimism. Now, Dave, they unearthed a very a story that makes very interesting reading because the, the pessimism then was, if anything, greater than what we're seeing now. I mean, it was it was Cassandra-like. Uh, Jeff mentioned something about about you know not celebrating in a time of layoffs. That reminded me, there is an item uh, from the the uh, Las Vegas Confidential blog, which which Reuters picked up on and carried and also shows it's also linked at uh, gamingfloor.com uh, a, a gentleman I assume it's a gentleman could be a woman and R.C. Clark reporting that they have an inside source that there are, have been from 2,500 to 4,000 layoffs at, at MGM Mirage now this was October 27th and that was the last that anybody's heard of that the story seems to have gained no further traction is is i mean does is there any uh anything out there to either substantiate or dispel this particular report i i don't know of any you know the companies aren't in the practice typically of announcing their their layoffs when they're confronted with evidence sometimes they'll admit it but um what what we definitely are hearing a lot of stories, um, a lot of reports about are um, entire, you know, wings and groups of floors at hotels being closed off, um, whether for midweek um, or even a week all, around, you know, for the whole week. Um, and um, we, uh, and so there's, that's very common. Certainly, restaurant hours uh, shrinking and certain outlets closing. Um, so, you know, they are definitely, and, and it, were, it were way too early for the, the Christmas, you know, the Thanksgiving to Christmas slowdown. So, uh, yeah, we're definitely hearing lots of stuff like that. And those, the reason those things happen are to allow, um, you know, pretty massive type layoffs. Um, one, you know, an interesting story, it's not really Las Vegas, but it's on the approach to town. Um, our reporter, Rick Villada, um, posted on our blog today that one of the three uh, Terribles properties in Prim has uh, closed their hotel, um, Buffalo Bills, f um, during the midweek. That hotel is now now not accepting reservations until the end of the year. They're resuming in January, but you know it remains to be seen if that'll happen. But they're uh, closing the hotel midweek, um, and um, you know so leaving the other two hotels open, Whiskey Pete's and Terrible's, formerly Prim Valley. Um, and the interesting thing to me about that is they chose. And, and the casino stays open, some of the restaurants stay open, but the interesting thing about that is they chose to do it. It's a much more public thing when, you, when the hotel is totally closed. Uh, you know, most, most operators would say, you know what, let's just close, you know, half of the hotel or the top half of the floors or the bottom half and do it maybe at two or three of those properties. It maintains the illusion at least that all three are fully functioning properties hotel guests really don't 
you know, confront the fact that there are floors with nobody staying in them. Um, but when you when nobody's staying in the hotel, when they won't accept reservations, when the place is in effect mothballed five days a week, people do realize that. And it's another sign, I think, to customers that, you know, times are pretty bad and the future prospects for that property and that company are uh, dire. Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent point. I hadn't seen that story until you just mentioned it, but I'm looking at it now. Uh, very interesting. And and then, you know, we take that and we and we obviously, you know, wins opening Encore, but they sort of, in a way, as he said, sort of attracted uh, the very, very top end of the market. But then you've got Station opening Aliante in November. Uh, how bad is this going to be for them? I mean, Two, 200 rooms. It's only 200 rooms. It's out in the middle of you know, uh, up at the north end of North Las Vegas, um, it is a, you know, it, it, that is a market that has been, uh, you know, sort of waiting for a moderate level, nice locals casino. I mean, they're going to peel customers away from Cannery and from some other station properties um, out in the northwest, Texas Station, um, Fiesta Rancho and Santa Fe Station, but you know a lot of people will just be new marginal visitors who live within a couple miles of this property. There's a lot of new rooftops out, out there. Um, unfortunately, many many of them have been foreclosed upon and are empty. But um, the, you know I think that, um, and I, I should disclose that my uh, my employer is a half owner of that casino, um, similar to the ownership of uh, Green Valley Ranch. But, uh, you know, I, will it will it immediately open with a bang? I don't know that I can predict that, but I certainly think that uh, it's, a, it's, it's a decent market. It's certainly stronger than, it certainly has stronger demographics than some other station properties like Palace, Texas, and Boulder Station, so I th- and, and, and Wild Wild West. So I think that um, it will, uh, you know, it'll probably do okay and in the long run do pretty darn well. We shall see. November 11th, I think, that's the date for the opening up. 11-11 at 11-11 p.m. Of course, of course. For, our, for, for uh, us numerologists. Nice. All right. Well, plenty, plenty for, us to, uh, to, uh, for us to keep score on in the coming months, no doubt. Um, I'm going to move on. And this was an article in the Las Vegas Sun, I believe on Monday, by your colleague, Jeff Liz Benson, that talked about the different strategies between the two biggest players on the Strip as far as how they built their business uh, and how they run their businesses, MGM Mirage and Harris. Um, you know, both have large players clubs, but where MGM Mirage properties actively compete against everyone, including their corporate brethren, Harris has taken a more integrated approach that supposedly allows customers to easily mix and match amenities across properties. Uh, MGM Mirage has stated that while they think that they can probably extract some more value from their club technology and cross-promotions, they don't plan to abandon their current competitive, cross-competitive approach. Harris seems to believe that their customers appreciate the freedom to stay at one resort and, for instance, eat at another, um, all under the same host and comp umbrella. But what I'm asking you guys is how these approaches may influence each of these companies. And as is asked in the article, is Harris' approach even really practical, given this, the sort of implicit fiefdoms that become sort of inevitable in these situations? I would uh, say that 
just talking about, strictly in theory, I would say that no high-risk approach isn't as practical because, as I said in my my blog post about it, you've got no competition and nobody really has an incentive to get any better. Everybody just gets, they know what piece of the pie they're going to get. So why should managers rock the boat? Anybody else? Well, I, I guess... I looked at I looked at the uh, and I look at those two companies and I mean there's certainly you know Harris is a marketing centric company um, and that's their strength um, MGM Mirage is still a you know gambling and other revenue stream oriented company that really thinks about how to and, and and it's a company that invests in renovation and keeping the places um, as uh, as nice as possible, refreshing them, keeping them up to date. Harris has never really never shown an appetite for that. I think that when you look at the the those two cultures, I think you can pick good things from each company and bad things. And I don't think the bad thing um, about Harris is that it's unified. I think the bad thing is that they don't. Um, appropriately recognize play and players. I think that MGM Mirage properties, um, equivalent play at an MGM Mirage property, particularly at the top end, will be much more rewarded um, by their by their um, system, whether it's slot or table comps. Um, Harris has the benefit of having a unified system so that you can, you know, accumulate, you know, credit for playing at at you know relatively crappy properties and stay at nice properties so that can benefit players um but you know they are relatively i would say uh tight with they what they return to players um mgm mirage has has long just almost ignored the benefits to the company of understanding what all their what you know what their players do across across property um, boundaries. They have 10 hotels on the strip, and yet you know a big Luxor player would probably go almost unrecognized if they, you know, um, bought in for a few thousand dollars at at a Mirage. And you know that's really foolish. Um, you know, Harris by their tiered card system would recognize that player, and they have a certain level of. Um, you know, demanded customer service where they would, you know, at least greet the person by name and they understand that they're somebody who plays and their, their information would be instantly accessible to, to players. Now, they may not reward them as much, but um, I think both companies have a lot to learn from each other. Um, I don't think that, um, I think the competition, um, I would disagree a little with Dave, I, I, I think the competition among properties within the company to a level is fine, but there's plenty of competition um, with other operators. I mean, if you're, if you're Harris, um, there's plenty of MGM Mirage properties surrounding you, not to mention a few independents. And so, you know, I, I think there's something to be said for that strategy, um, but I, you know I, I think that each what each company really needs to focus on, MGM Mirage needs to be able to better exploit the information that they have on employ on customers and uh, and maximize their use of that information in marketing to them. And Harris needs to better reward the customers and not be so penurious. 
I, I'd agree with most of that. I don't uh, I don't understand why MGM is is siloing its its business in that mm-hmm. fashion. And I mean, I have family members, and I know of listeners to this show who will hopscotch between the various Harris properties, and you know, it just to me the the, the cross property strategy makes more sense based on what I know of people who who come here to to play yeah you know it's interesting i i assume that if the the person that is taking taking advantage of uh the complementaries more so than the random tourist that isn't necessarily really plugged into the comp system they may have no idea who owns what and who is affiliated with whom uh and what kind of benefit can be derived from playing here at another property or x y and z but you know, I, I would assume that um, Harris is I, probably is trying to even advertise and sell sell their property in that way. I mean, I don't. I have personally haven't seen advertising to that effect, but I would. They definitely do. Your 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 monthly offer newsletter that comes to Harris players will offer you know show tickets to Elton John, buffet you know uh, seafood buffets at the Rio, um, hotel rooms at Paris. Um, they absolutely try and link those properties, um, and MGM Mirage does not. Um, there's, uh, you know, and, and it's, and I mean, the marketing difference goes way beyond just that. It's that MGM Mirage, you know, barely markets as a company anyway. If you get mail from MGM Mirage, it's from a property, which means that you have been in those doors and played at that property. You'll never get an offer from Bellagio, even if you're a $2,000 a hand better at Mandalay Bay. And that's foolish. Um, that, you know, that is a, that is failing to capitalize on information that is readily at hand. Um, and, uh, you know, credit Gary Loveman and some of his folks over there. They understand one half of the equation, but they don't understand the old school gambling casino, um, uh, rules, which are you find the players that are valuable and you you reward them enough so that they become loyal and and come back and you know MGM Mirage does understand that Steve Wynn understands it you know there is a there the Harris mathematical formula does not provide nearly as much in terms of return to players as MGM does. Now I have a question that I just thought of now. This this uh, this sort of setup that MGM Mirage seems to be gravitating towards uh, currently is that is that something that was um, also in place at Mirage Resorts at MGM Grand Inc. Is it something that's come about with a combination of the company, or is it just sort of the default position? Well, back then, I mean, in nineteen in nineteen um, I'm sorry, in two thousand when those companies merged, Harris system was much less advanced than it is now. They had just recently created a system that allowed um, you know all points to be combined all play to be combined and you know MGM just had um, New York New York and MGM Grand and the and the prim properties and a few around the country and Mirage was Bellagio Mirage Treasure Island and Golden Nugget plus Golden Nugget uh, and Laughlin and Beau Rivage. So there, you know, and they certainly um, siloed, as Dave accurately uh, coined it, um, they siloed their information. Um, and, but that was what, that was the market then. 
times have changed. Um, Station Casino is another company here in the locals market that very closely mimics what Harris does. Um, players are, are valued for the whole of their play, not individually assessed. I mean, I guarantee you there are MGM Mirage players who, if all of their play at all MGM Mirage properties were assessed, they, the company would realize that those players are much more valuable than the sum of their play at any one property. And so when, they're, when those players are rewarded more by superior marketing competitors, and, um, and, and, and right now they don't really pay for it because Harris doesn't comp as much as MGM Mirage does. Um, so, but, but if Harris ever gets on the ball in terms of that, I think MGM Mirage would be at a severe competitive disadvantage. And that, that siloing would also ex- help explain why it's taken over three years and MGM still hasn't fully assimilated uh, Mandalay Resort Group and why you encounter redundancies within, within that organization. Definitely. <clears throat> Thanks to everybody for being here. Uh, I'm going to go around the table and so you guys can tell people where they can find you. Uh, I'll start with Jeff Simpson. Where can people track you down? In Business Las Vegas and InBusinessLasVegas.com. Dave Schwartz, how about you? I'm at Gaming.UNLV.edu and DieIsCast.com. And Mr. David McKee, where can people find you? Oh, LasVegasAdvisor.com and this week's issue of Las Vegas City Life. Excellent. Uh, you can find me at RateVegas.com. Uh, thanks to everyone, and have a great weekend. And don't forget to go vote in the Trippies 2008 at VegasTripping.com. And don't guys, forget to vote in general vote. next week. November 4th, Tuesday. Vote. Whoever you vote for, that's fine. Just go out and ha- vote. Happy Nevada Day, everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>